Welcome to the most impactful place on the planet, Tabernacle Baptist Church. This is Reverend Dr. Charles E. Goodman Jr. People call me PG, and I'm so honored to lead this amazing ministry that is really trying hard to glorify God. Listen, thank you for tuning in. Matter of fact, go to our website, tbcaugusta.org. You can find out about all the wonderful things that we're trying to accomplish for the kingdom of God at our church. Matter of fact, you can also give through Secure Give, Giveify. We pray that you will partner with us as we once again do all that God calls us to be. Well, let's get into that word and that experience. I believe it's going to be a blessing to you. God bless you. Lord, and help me give God glory on this Thursday night. I need everybody in the house to help me give God glory. He's worthy of the glory. He's worthy of the honor. He's worthy of our praise. Will you help me glorify our great God? He's great and greatly to be praised. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Will you help me give him glory? at the Tabernacle Church on a Thursday night. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. What a joy it is to be back in this place during this season of revival, this March gladness experience. I'll admit it to you tonight, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house called Tabernacle. Amen. I'm glad to be here tonight, and I thank God for this awesome privilege that has been afforded me to share on this third watch of March Gladness 2019 to the eminent and esteemed pastor of this church, my friend and beloved brother, the Reverend Dr. Charles E. Goodman, Jr. Will you help me celebrate your pastor, my friend? Bless you, sir. I'm so very honored that you would allow me to come and share during this very significant season in the church's life. I know you know a lot of preachers in a lot of places, but thank you for looking down in the hood of Houston, Texas, and allowing me to come and share during this time of revival. Yeah, I'm in the hood. Amen. Praise the Lord for the hood. All the rats, I mean, all the people in the, from the hood say amen. All right, praise the Lord for the hood. Amen. <laughs> praise the Lord. To all of the reverend clergy who are in this place tonight, God bless you, my sisters and brothers who have the wonderful blessing and burden of preaching the word of God. I praise God for each one of you and to the leadership and the membership of the, of the uh, Tabernacle Church. I'm grateful to be here with you on this Thursday night. Thank God for this magnificent and majestic music ministry. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you for ushering us into the presence of God on the wings of song. We are blessed because of your inclusion in worship tonight. There's a word from the Lord tonight, and if you have your Bibles, I invite your attention to the New Testament gospel as recorded by the writer Mark. The New Testament gospel is recorded by the writer Mark at chapter 5. The New Testament gospel is recorded by the writer Mark at chapter 5. We'll begin our reading tonight at verse 34. The New Testament gospel is recorded by the writer Mark at chapter 5, and we'll begin our reading at verse 34. If you have that passage of scripture, say amen. If you don't, say wait for me. I'm waiting, I heard you. The New Testament, Matthew, Mark, the second of the New Testament Gospels. Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 34. I'm reading tonight from the New International Version of the Holy Word of God, and this is what it says. He, meaning Jesus, said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." That's enough. Amen. Praise God for his holy word. You may be seated in the presence of our good and gracious God. Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace 
and be freed from your suffering. For the time that is ours to share together tonight, I want to talk simply from the subject, faith to fight on. Faith to fight on. It was in June, to be sure, the first week of June of 2018, that this nation was forced to deal with the challenge, the tragedy of death by suicide. The first week of June, 2018, we were thrust into the reality that two nationally prominent individuals decided to take their lives by suicide. On Tuesday of that week, designer Kate Spade took her life. And then, then while we were still reeling from that reality, on Friday of the same week, CNN's Anthony Bourdain decided to do the same. The nation was wrestling with, grappling with the reality that these two individuals who seemingly had it all going on, these two individuals who seemed to be at the tops of their proverbial games, decided that there was some pressure, some weight, some frustration, some agitation with which they could not deal any longer, from which they could get no swift release. And as a consequence, they chose to take their own lives. These two individuals to whom many looked up, these two individuals who were consistently in the public eye and everybody thought they were doing well, these two individuals had some demons with which they wrestled some pressure from which they could get no swift release, some weight on their shoulders that they could not shake, and as a consequence, they took their very lives. And I thought tonight, Dr. Goodman, that we might just wrestle with this for a little while because if the truth be told, this same situation of death by suicide has the tendency to creep into the minds of even the saints who occupy space in the sanctuary. There's some persons in the room tonight who can testify that there have been some seasons in your life when you had demons with which you were wrestling. You had pressure from which you could get no swift release. You had some weight that you could not shake. And although you love the Lord, and although you have a Bible in your lap or an app on your phone, the truth of the matter is there have been some seasons you couldn't deal with the pressure that weighs so heavily upon your shoulders and tonight somebody sitting in church tonight you may not want to testify about it but I know very well that there are some who press their way to the Lord's house with regularity and they deal with suicidal ideations they deal with the reality that there are some circumstances that just try to beat them to their core and knock them around from which they can get no swift release somebody in church tonight knows what it means to have life try to knock the life out of you. Somebody knows what it means to have to deal with the same thing every day, all day. Somebody knows what it means to not want to get up out of the bed in the morning, not want to open up the curtains, not want to deal with the realities with which you have to deal. Somebody in church has once upon a time wanted to say, stop this ride, I want to get off. Somebody wanted to throw in the towel, wave the white flag of surrender, but I'm so glad you're here because 
because the fact that you're here means you didn't give up. You didn't throw in the towel. That some kind of way you found within yourself some intestinal fortitude to keep on fighting till you got to church one more time. Somebody said I had to keep fighting despite the pressure, despite the weight, despite the demons from which I could get no swift release. And tonight I'm glad you in this house because I need to reintroduce you or introduce you to a woman who knows what it means to have some pressure, some weight, some frustration, some aggravation from which she can get no swift release. You know her well. If you've been in church for about three and a half days, you've heard her story because she is one of those sisters who helped us to understand what it means to have some tenacity, some temerity, the, even the audacity to keep on pressing when you feel like giving up. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I reintroduce you to her tonight. She is unnamed, yet not unnecessary. She is a sister who knows what it means to have this, what that, that which drains you, that which depletes you, and that which has detached her by law from everything near and dear to her. Permit me to introduce or reintroduce you to a woman whose name we do not know. She is unnamed, yet not unnecessary, because she teaches us how to press, how to push, how to persevere, even when you feel like giving up. May I reintroduce you to her. The church has long since given her a moniker that the Bible does not even label with her with. As a matter of fact, we have labeled her based upon what's wrong with her. We have defined her by her deficiency. The church has called her the woman with the issue of blood. Now, church family, I've got a bit of a challenge with that because all too often in the church, we label people by what's wrong with them. We define them by their deficiency. We call them by what has characterized them in terms of deficiency. You know how we do in the church. That's the deacon with the drinking problem. That's the sister who got pregnant before she got married. That's the preacher who got caught. Dot, dot, dot. We have the tendency to label people by what's wrong with them. But I wish I had 10 or 12 people in Tabernacle tonight who can testify. Don't label me just by what's wrong with me because there's a whole lot more to me than meets the eye. Don't you fool yourself. I'm not just some person who ain't got the money I wish I had. I'm not just some person who's single and not able to get to where I want to be. I'm not just some person who is old and seemingly have no end and no way to keep on pressing. I need 10 or 12 people in here who know that you got something on the inside of you that makes you get up in the morning and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Can I find some faith walkers in here? Can I find some warriors in this house tonight who can testify there's more to me than meets the eye yes 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 here she is she is my sister who's unnamed yet not unnecessary because she teaches us a lesson about how to have faith to fight on now I see already that there are two or three people who may have just checked out on me because you think this message may not be for you I hear you talking to me Rev I'm not in that situation I don't have suicidal thoughts and tendencies I don't have this issue of blood that this woman is talking about I hear you I know that your issue may not be suicide. Your issue may not be this sickness. But Goodman, I've been in church long enough to know that everybody in church got some kind of issue. 
<laughs> don't, don't you fool yourself. Don't you let your good looks fool you. Don't you let your education fool you. Don't you let your degree status fool you. Everybody in church got some kind of issue. Can I get three witnesses? Oh, yeah, yeah. Your issue may not be like my issue, and my issue may not be yours, but all of us got some issues we're dealing with. Somebody in here has an occupational issue. You hate going to that job you got to go to tomorrow. You get sick of walking up in there. As a matter of fact, while you're walking through the door, you look, Lord, hold me. Don't let me go off on these people. Lord, don't let me lose my temper today. Somebody in here knows what it means to have, oh, that's not your issue. Maybe your issue is a lack of an occupation issue. You've been looking for a job for the last six months and ain't been able, okay, that's not your issue. Maybe your issue is a financial issue. You don't have the money you wish you had. You're trying to make your ends meet. You really want them to overlap, but you don't have the money. That, okay, that's not your issue. Oh, maybe your issue is you're the only one in your family got money and everybody come to you to get the money that you have. Okay. All of us got some kind of, okay, that's not your issue. Maybe your issue is a marital issue. You don't want to go home tonight because you don't feel like dealing with with that person that's in your house every time the garage opens you like oh lord they here again every somebody in here okay that's not your issue oh maybe your issue is a lack of a marital issue you thought by now jesus i sure would have been married by now i thought i was favored of the lord Oh, that's not your issue. Okay, maybe your issue is like my issue. I got a political issue because every time I look at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, I'm like, come on, Jesus. Are you serious? Is that dude still up there every single day? He lied. He talking crazy. He's egomaniacal, narcissistic, xenophobic, sexist, racist. I'm sick of looking at CNN and watching him lie. Here a lie, there a lie. Everywhere a lie, lie. 1600, got a lie. E I E I O. All of us, all of us have some kind of an issue. Tonight I thought I'd bring this sister to our consideration because this sister knows what it means to have an issue and still keep pressing, whoop, keep persevering, keep pushing until she gets her issue resolved. She has, I submit tonight, faith to fight on. And tonight, I need to raise somebody's faith. No need to come to all these nights of March gladness and your faith not get raised. Don't make sense to hear all this preaching and your faith not get raised. Last time I checked your Bible, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I need 10 or 12 people who say, who plan to leave March with more faith. I need 10 or 12 people who can testify. I may not have had it in February, but after all four of these preachers get finished, I'm going to walk by faith faith and not by sight. I'm going to believe God for great things. I'm going to trust God to do the miraculous, the impossible, the amazing in my life. Here she is. Here she is, church family. This sister, unnamed yet not unnecessary, teaches us how to have faith to fight on. I submit tonight, church family, that if you and I are going to have faith to fight on, we have to have faith, watch this, despite public perception. God, will you help me preach tonight? I said we got to have faith despite public perception. I mentioned to you in passing during that little introductory part of the message that this woman is drained. She is depleted. She is detached. Watch this. By law, 
from everything that is near and dear to her. Hear me again, church family. She's drained. She is depleted. She is detached by law from everything that is near and dear to her. But she heard that there was a man named Jesus who was able to do amazing things. And she said, if I can just get to him, I know something's going to happen. Now, church family, you've got to understand when Mark chapter 5 opens, it opens with a brother who is sitting in a cemetery in a place called Gadara. He is naked, screaming and hollering, cutting himself with rocks. He is out of control, out of his mind. And the Bible says that Jesus, the matchless Lamb of God, meets him where he is. Aren't you glad that you don't always have to make your way to church, but Jesus knows how to show up right where you are and meets you with mercy and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. He meets that man in the cemetery, asks him, what is your name? That man says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Hold up, Mr. Jesus. I got a whole lot of stuff going on with me. I got a whole bunch of issues. But your Bible says that when Jesus finishes with him, he is clothed and in his right mind. Oh, child of God, don't miss it. Because our ancestors, our elders used to say that this Jesus that we love and serve, he's a heart fixer. <laughs> and a mind regulator. Anybody in here ever had him regulate your mind? Anybody ever had him put you back in your right mind? Anybody ever had your mind playing tricks on you? But when you hooked up with that man, Jesus, he began to change your mind and fix you everywhere you hurt. Your Bible says when Jesus finishes dealing with this brother, he gets into a boat, crosses the water, and when he gets out of the water, there's a multitude of people waiting to greet him. And when they greet him, they throng him. They encircle him. They're excited to see this man, Jesus. They've heard what he's able to do. They watched him do mighty miracles in the past, and they believe he's going to do something else again. Here they all are, this multitude of people surrounding the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss it. A crowd of brothers and sisters needing to see Jesus once again. Here they all are, crowding Jesus. It's as if everybody in Tabernacle wanted to show up just to see that man named Jesus and there they are this crowd of people waiting to see Jesus and in the midst of that crowd comes a big baller shot caller by the name of Jairus Jairus is a synagogue ruler he is a man of ability and nobility he is a man of means with men and women under his authority he says jump and they say how high he says move and everybody gets to moving he is a man with authority but this man has an issue his issue is he got a 12-year-old baby girl back at the house who is sick and lay at the point of death. And his ability and nobility can do nothing to help her. His means nor the men and women under his authority can do anything to help her. And so he comes to that man named Jesus. And your Bible says he lays himself prostrate before Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I need you to come to my house. Lay your hand on my daughter so she may be healed and live. You missed it. Let me give it to you again. I said he comes to Jesus, this big baller shot caller, this man of ability and nobility, this man with means and men and women under his authority. He comes to Jesus because sometimes your money can't get you out of your mess. Sometimes your authority can't get you out of your situation. And somebody in here knows that there's a man named Jesus who's still able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. And the Bible 
Bible says he comes to Jesus, lays prostrate at his feet, and when he does, he says, Jesus, I need you to come to my house. Lay your hands on my daughter so she may be healed and live. By contextual implication, preachers, we can deduce that Jesus says, all right, let's go, because the next verse says, everybody start walking toward the house. There they go toward the house. They're making their way toward the house, and you can see the anticipation, the expectation in their eyes. Everybody's excited, because Jesus is about to hook a sister up. Yes, he is. He's about to do another one of those Jesus things. He's about to make a way out of no way. He's about to heal this little baby girl. They're about to see it for themselves. Can't you hear them in that crowd as they make their way to Jairus' house? Go, Jesus. Go, Jesus. Go. Do it, Jesus. Work it out, Jesus. Make a way, Jesus. I know there's somebody in here who's ever had some expectation or anticipation, and you just believed that God was going to work it out. And because you believed, you walked different because you believe you talk differently because you believe you act differently I need some believers in this house tonight who said I don't care what's going on I don't care how bad it looks I know that there's a man named Jesus Thank you, Lord Jesus. And so they're on their way to the home of Jairus. Everybody's on their way. They're making their way to Jairus' house. The whole crowd is going. And while they're going, while they're processing, while they're making their way to Jairus' house, here comes this unnamed yet not unnecessary woman. And she presses her way through the crowd. And the Bible says she touches the hem of his garment. And as soon as she touches his garment, the Bible says immediately. Her blood flow stanched immediately. She felt that she was better in her body. And now Jesus stops. And when Jesus stops, everybody stops. Because if Jesus stops, ain't no need to keep going. We want to see what Jesus is about to do. When Jesus stops, everybody stops. And now Jesus has to deal with an unnamed, yet not unnecessary woman. He wants to know who touched me. Come on and help me preach. You know this, Pastor. Who touched me? Now, church family, this blesses me because you need to understand by now, sister friend is drained. She's depleted. And she's detached by law from everything that's near and dear to her. Let me stay there for a little minute. She's detached by law from everything near and she ain't supposed to be there. Sister friend has an incessant blood flow, a hemorrhage from which she can get no relief. And she, as a consequence of her incessant hemorrhage, is not supposed to be in the populace of the community. Levitical law from the Old Testament says that this woman cannot be around everybody else. She is supposed to be ostracized, colonized. She is the pariah of society. But this sister said, I don't care what anybody thinks about where I'm supposed to be right now. I need something from that man named Jesus that nobody else can provide. And no matter what it takes, I'm going to press my way through this crowd so that by the time this is all over, I will reach out and touch him and get what I need from the Lord. Let me see if I can unpack that church family. You want to know why so many people come to March Gladness and show up on Sunday for five services? It's not because they care about what you think about them. It's not because they're trying to be seen by you. As a matter of fact, Somebody came tonight with a whole bunch of issues, and you may know their issue. You may know what's wrong with them, but tonight they don't care what anybody else thinks. That's why they keep hollering. That's why.
why they keep clapping. That's why they keep jumping up, sitting down, jumping up, sitting down. Because they don't care about public perception tonight. They need something from that man named Jesus, and they've decided to reach out and touch him. Is there anybody in this building tonight who says, I ain't studying what nobody else is thinking tonight? I came tonight not to see what you were wearing, not to see if I could network with you. I need something from Jesus that nobody else can provide. Dr. Goodman, I submit tonight that most church folk need at least two deliverances. We first of all need to get delivered from sin, and then we need to get delivered from the saints. Because some of us in here have been so concerned about whether or not they're going to say something after the benediction, whether or not they're going to roll their eyes because I keep on jumping up. Listen, you ain't got time to be worried about what your pew partner is thinking. If you need something from the Lord that nobody else can provide, you better open your mouth, lift up your hands, run around this church, do whatever you need to do to reach out and touch it. I need 10 or 12 people in here who say, excuse me if I offend you. I'm just trying to touch him. I apologize if I'm getting in your way and you can't see the preacher. Look up. That's why we got the screens. I'm just trying to touch him. Oh, I got a ways to go. Meet me in E-flat point three. Watch this. He says, she says, listen, I got to touch him. And the Bible says that she, when she reaches out to touch him in a space she's not supposed to be, she needs to get something from the Lord. Only problem is it's not just a perception issue. She stands in jeopardy of being persecuted. She's breaking the law. She's not, the Levitical law says she can't be here. She's breaking the law, but uh, uh, she got what I call a Rosa Parks spirit. I ain't going nowhere. I'm going to sit right here till I get what I need. Yes, 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 yes. She got one of them Fanny Lou Hamer spirits. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you got to deal with it or get over it. I don't care what you do. But I'm not leaving here till I get what I need from the Lord. Where are my sisters in here tonight who know how to stage a sit-in? Where are my sisters in here? It's Women's Emphasis Month, ain't it? Where are the sisters in here who say, I'm coming to get what I need from the Lord? And even though persecution is a possibility, so is healing. And the question is, are you more afraid of the persecution or more needful of the healing? Is there anybody in here who says you're going to have to do whatever you need to do? But before I leave here tonight, I'm going to get what I need from the Lord. There we go. Here we go. All right, watch the text. Watch the text. She, she, she says, I got faith right on, despite public perception. But watch this. I submit tonight, preacher, that she also has faith to fight on, despite persistent pain. Oh. Despite persistent. Somebody say persistent. I think I may have told you this woman is, is dealing with an incessant blood flow, a hemorrhage that will not stop. 
every single day of her life she is dealing with this. As a matter of fact, your Bible says she's been dealing with this for 12 years. Every day of her life she is dealing with the pain that is associated with an incessant, ever-flowing hemorrhage of blood. She has to deal with this, and this, my brothers and sisters, causes her to be drained, depleted. By the time we get to the text, she's emaciated. Can't you see her weary, weak, and worn-out body? She's now bent over. She's doing her best to press to where she can get some power from that man named Jesus. Here she is. She is now drained, depleted, detached by law from everything near and dear to her. But she, she heard that there was a man named Jesus who could do for her what she could not do for herself. And in spite of her persistent pain, she pressed her way to touch that man named Jesus. And I submit tonight, church family, that we cannot overlook her pain. As a matter of fact, I submit she's dealing with persistent physical pain. Somebody in here tonight knows what physical pain that won't go away feels like. Somebody in the church tonight knows what it means to have some pain in your body that will not go away. For 12 years, she's dealing with persistent physical pain. Every morning, she wakes up and the pain is there. Every night, she goes to sleep and the pain is still there. All day long, she's walking through the, through the marketplace and the pain is still there. She's dealing with pain that will not go. She can't take no pill and everything's all right. This is nothing she can just sleep off. This is persistent pain. Blood is being drained from her body. And it doesn't take a biologist in the room to know that life is in the blood. She's being depleted. She's being drained. She's being dehydrated of everything that should keep her alive. But this, my friends, is the miracle of the text for me. The miracle of the text is not just that she gets healed at the end. The miracle of the text is she's been dealing with this for 12 years and she's still pressing. No, no. You just missed your shout cue. That was a good spot right there to say amen. If you didn't say amen, you should have looked at amen. You should have just smiled. Uh, I said that this woman has been dealing with this for 12 years. And, and, and life is in the blood. She should have been dead year one. If she made it to year two or three, that would have been something to rejoice about. But sister friend is at year 12, and she's still pressing. You know why I get happy every time I come to church? Because every time I come to church and look at these pews, I know there's somebody who should have been, could have been, would have been gone a long time ago. But you kept on pressing, you kept on persevering, you kept on pushing, and the miracle to me is you still standing. Is there anybody in this building tonight who say, man, you don't know half the stuff I've been through. If you knew my whole story, you wouldn't believe I'm still in my right mind. If you knew my whole story, you wouldn't believe I still come to church, but I'm still standing, I'm still alive, and I'm still pressing, and that by itself is a miracle. I'm in pain, but I'm here. I got some trouble, but I'm here. I got some issues, but I'm here. I wish you'd look towards somebody and say, thank God you're here. You don't know how much you may have blessed somebody because you don't know what that sister, that brother is going through. I wish you'd look back at him and say, I mean that thing. Thank God you're here. 
She's dealing with persistent physical pain. But I submit tonight, she's also dealing with persistent financial pain. Uh, you read the story if you did. And if you did, you read that um, she has gone from doctor to doctor. And the Bible says she spent all she had. She never got better. She only got worse. Uh, let me get to you again. No, you missed it because... If you admit it, you feel a little sorry for this sister because the Bible says that she has gone from doctor to doctor. In these 12 years, she spent all she had. She never got any better. She only got worse. She went to the people who were supposed to make her better. They didn't make her better. They only got, she only got worse and gave her a bill. And now she broke. Okay, and I see that that doesn't mean the same thing to some folk at Tabernacle as it may mean to some of us from the hood. Because if you show enough from the hood, you just may have the tendency to know what it feels like to be broke. Now, 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 now I know everybody in church is not going to testify about this because you don't want your pew partner to ever think that anything was ever wrong with your life. You've always been wonderful. Everybody's always been able to say, look at you, and you've always been the top of the line in the start of class. Okay, but for the rest of us who know what it means to be broke, I need you to testify to your pew partner. Broke ain't no fun. <laughs> Bro broke ain't no fun, no. When you can't decide whether to pay the rent or get your meds, broke ain't no fun. When you don't know if you can feed your children to keep the light on, broke ain't no fun. I need two or three people who know that every now and then the E on the gas hand stands for everlasting because God just keeps you going and you know you can't do nothing about it. Somebody in here ought to thank God that in spite of being broke, he kept you going. He kept you moving. She's dealing with persistent physical pain. She's dealing with persistent financial pain. But may I suggest she's likewise dealing with persistent personal pain. Don't miss this. She's dealing with persistent personal pain. Church family, this is the only woman in all of recorded scripture who has ever had to deal with this. Hear me. She's the only woman in all the 66 books of your Bible who has ever had to deal with this kind of pain. Um, this is personal pain. This is a pain that no one else can share with her. Mm. This is a pain she has to go through all by herself. Can't nobody walk up to her and say, I know how you feel. They don't know how she feels. This here is personal. Have you ever had that experience, that circumstance that you had to go through in the crucible of isolation? <laughs> in the crucible of individualism. Sometimes some stuff you have to go through and can't nobody go through it with you. Can nobody share the load with you. There's some seasons in life where personal pain takes over you and you have to wonder, God, are you really on my side? God, when is this thing going to end? God, I know that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but you said you deliver us out of them all. When are you going to deliver? Because this hurts. And there are some seasons 
when we deal with our personal pain, and some of our pseudo-spiritual people walk up to us and say, baby, I know how you feel. No, you don't. Don't you tell me that. 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 It's going to be all right. It ain't been all right for 12 years. It ain't been all right. Just, just pray about it. I've been praying for 12 years. Don't you give me all them little pseudo-spiritual quips. I need something that's going to sustain me. This is personal. She's dealing with a personal issue. Somebody in here tonight knows how that feels. Some brother tonight knows what it means to have something you can't tell anybody else about. God help me tonight. Somebody in here knows what it feels like to have a child that just will not do right. And that child has been burdening your heart for so long and it's personal. You may have been through a similar situation, but don't tell me you've been through this situation because this here is personal. But I like the text because the text says despite her persistent physical pain and her persistent financial pain and her persistent personal pain, watch this, Mark says she thought to herself, if I can just touch... The hem of his garment. I'll be made whole. Yeah. I see the church people in here. You already helping me preach. Uh, she says, the Bible says in Mark 8, Mark chapter 5, she thought to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. Now, I like Mark's gospel, because I really do. But I really appreciate Matthew's gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell this story, but Matthew tells it a different way. Matthew says, she said to herself, if I, okay, okay, you missed it. Uh, uh, Mark said she thought to herself. Matthew says she said to herself. And there is a unique difference between thinking something and saying something. Now, she said it to herself. And I know there's somebody sitting on your road saying you crazy when you talk to yourself. May I submit to you, you ain't crazy when you talk to yourself. You crazy when you say the wrong thing back to yourself. Sometimes you got to talk to yourself. Because sometimes you're the only self yourself will listen to. Is there anybody in here who knows sometimes you got to talk yourself off the ledge. Sometimes you got to be your own life coach. Sometimes you got to tell yourself, get yourself together. Sometimes you got to tell yourself, I will survive. I will prosper. I will make it. I am an overcomer. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is there anybody in here ever had to talk to yourself? says David encouraged himself in the Lord you better pat yourself on the back and tell yourself this too shall pass tell yourself greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world tell yourself no weapon formed against me shall prosper she said to herself I'm done if I can just touch the hem of his garment I'll be made whole. So she reached out in a place she wasn't supposed to be. She reached out doing something she wasn't supposed to do. She is ceremonially unclean. If she touches anybody else, she runs the risk of making them ceremonially unclean. She can be stoned to death. She could be absolutely taken out for being where she is. But she said to herself, 
If I can touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. So she pressed her way, touched the hem of the garment of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, Jesus stopped and said, who, come on and help me preach. Who touched me? I like it. Who, who touched me? And here come these disciples. Here come these know-it-all fellas. They know Jesus. You know you can't be asking who touched you. All these people in Tabernacle, you can't be asking who touched you. Everybody brushing up against you. Jesus said, no, 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 no. And then nobody just brush up against me. Didn't nobody just incidentally or accidentally come up against me. Somebody touched me with intentionality. Somebody showed up to touch me. Somebody came through the doors to touch me. Somebody said, I ain't going back home till I touch him. Is there Anybody in here who said, I got some intentionality behind this touch. So she identified herself. Hey, it was me. Told him the whole story. And now, here's where the story gets real good for me. Because she had faith to fight on despite public perception. You and I have to have faith to fight on despite persistent pain. Can I close when I tell you that you and I have to have faith to fight on? Watch this. Until the divine praises your perseverance. Uh, uh, woo, I'm getting happy all by myself. I said that you have to have faith to fight on until the divine praises your perseverance. She touches him. He says, who touched me? She tells him the whole story. And watch what he says. Verse 34. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Oh man, you missed it. That's one, that's two, that's three, that's four. Okay, that's about seven. That's number completion. I go with what I got. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Nope, nope, nope. That's only still about 75% of the room. I got to preach it and everybody gets it. I ain't got nothing to do till tomorrow morning when I get on that plane. The Bible says, Jesus looked at this intentional sister and said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Oh, oh, child of God, can I tell you how good this is? This is so good because this is the only time in all of recorded scripture that Jesus ever called any woman daughter. Now, now, what is that? Why is that so important, Cosby? It's important because you must understand he's headed to Jairus' house. And Jairus is one of them entitled church people. He's a man of ability and nobility. He's a man of means and men and women under his authority. But Jesus stops to deal with this unnamed yet not unnecessary woman because he wants everybody to know there are no big eyes and little U's in the kingdom. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what your position is. Jesus says, I'm coming that they all might have life and have it more abundantly. Can I find 10 or 12 people in here who can testify? I may not be in the clique, the club, or the crew, but I'm included. You may not know my name, but I'm included. You may not think I'm anybody, but he said, daughter. He said, son. He says, I'm included. Whosoever will, let him, let her, let them come. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Now go in peace. And be freed from your suffering. I love this, Pastor Goodman, because what he does now is give to her more than she ever bargained for. 
wait now, you got to remember, she came expecting one thing, but she left with more than what she ever anticipated. <laughs> she came to get a physical healing. She came to make this blood flow stretch and stop and uh, cease. And now, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. That word healed is so-so in the Greek. It is the word whole in your, in your King James Version. It is the word that literally means I'm giving you a comprehensive healing. I'm not just going to heal you physically. I'm going to heal you spiritually and emotionally and psychologically. Everywhere you hurt, I'm going to put some salve on that thing. Everywhere you hurt, I'm going to be your balm in Gilead. Is there anybody in this building tonight who can testify? There have been some seasons in your life when you asked God for one thing and he loved you so much that he gave you that and so much more. Come on, put me in E flat. But I need 10 or 12 people in here who can help me close this message and testify. You want to know why I praise him the way I do? You want to know why I celebrate him the way I do? You want to know why I love him the way I do? Because every time I turn around, he keeps on making a way for me. And he's always doing more than I bargained for. I need 10 or 12 people who know what that really means. That's called favor. That's when you get what you know you don't deserve. And is there anybody at the Tabernacle Church tonight who can look back over your life and begin to testify? He gave me more favor than I ever deserved. As a matter of fact, I'm a walking, talking, living, breathing testimony that God will put favor on your life. I'm in this church tonight because the favor of the Lord is all over me. So please excuse me when I get happy. But when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, my soul cries hallelujah. I want to thank God for so-soing me, for saving me, for healing me, for completing me, for favoring me. So for the next few seconds, can you take a mental break? Look back over your life and see how he brought you through. See how he made a way. See how he opened some doors and see how he closed some doors. See how he put the right people in your life and see how he took some jokers out your life. And for the next few seconds, can you thank God that if you got enough faith to fight on, he's got enough power to do the miraculous, to do the amazing. And I need 10 or 12 people who can help me close this message and begin to testify. If it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, I don't know where I would be. So please excuse me, but I keep having flashbacks of the ways he made, of the money he gave me, of the healing he provided, of the joy he restored. And I feel like giving him glory. But every time I look back over my life, I've got to testify. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord. Won't he make a way for you? Won't he open doors for you? Won't he provide for you? So somebody ought to help me close this message. Throw your hands up. Throw your head back and begin to thank the Lord that he allowed you to keep on fighting when you felt like giving up. He allowed you to keep on fighting when everybody else said, what's the use? I need somebody to help me thank God that trouble don't last always. It may have been ugly 
yesterday. It may have been bad last week. May have been ugly all year long. But I feel there's a change on the way. I feel there's a breaking on the way. I feel there's a miracle on the way. So be not weary.
until you begin to praise that perseverance and say child of God I'm glad to know that after all these years you can still believe I can do the impossible after this extended protracted challenge with which you've been faced you still believe that my grace is sufficient despite the persecution the Despite the perceptions of others, despite all the pain you've had to endure, you kept pressing. Tonight, God, we say thank you that you see our faith and that you honor our faith. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, will you increase our faith so that we will trust you for everything and doubt you for absolutely nothing. We thank you tonight that you are still a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. That's why we came tonight. To seek your face. And we thank you that when we seek your face, you grant us your favor. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray that you will show to your people that you're still able to turn situations around. Hallelujah. Show to your people that you still have power over our adversity. Prove to us that you're still able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or even think. Show us afresh that 
but you have power to heal, to deliver, and to set free. And we promise that we will give you the glory that is due unto your name. We promise that we will magnify you and glorify you. We'll tell everybody about you. Let the world know that if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, we wouldn't be here in this place. So we give you praise tonight. We give you glory. We give you honor. Bless the Tabernacle Church, will you please? Bless her, Pastor Dr. Goodman. Bless the people of God who worship in this house. And may your will ever be done in our lives. In the strong name of Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God, we pray with thanksgiving. If you believe that God's going to turn some things around, will you celebrate him on a Thursday night at Tabernacle Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia? Will you celebrate this God for whom nothing shall be called impossible? In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the most impactful place on the planet, Tabernacle Baptist Church. Don't forget, go by our website, tbcaugusta.org, there to see all that we got going on. And also, I thank you in advance for your benevolence and your gift that helps us promote the kingdom of God. Listen, I want to see you come back. Check us out later. Love you much. Take care. Peace.